Well, we pray that by your spirit, as we reflect on some of those words written so long ago, we may understand and realize what they can mean to us now, what you want to speak to us. So we offer our minds and our hearts to be open to you now, in and through the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. If there's one verse in the readings that we've heard tonight that I really want to focus on, it is one of the verses from the Psalm 145 that Nana read to us. Uh, That phrase, one generation shall commend or declare your works to another. One generation commending your works to another. My father's father, my paternal grandfather, was a master engraver. And he spent many hours each week engraving rings and metal plates and plaques for people who wanted them for special occasions. Uh, He was a very uh, skilled craftsman, and I have one or two examples of his work along with his engraving tools, uh, which are very special to me because he died before I was born. So the, the only memory that I have of him is through these things that I have. From my mother's side of the family, a different kind of legacy, really. Um, My mother's side of the family seemed to have a rich variety of stories. Uh, Stories about my mother's grandfather, who worked for people who lived in stately homes. He used to drive horses and carriages that used to drive the rich people around. So he and my grandmother uh, lived uh, on rather nice estates. But then uh, I hear stories about my mother's father who um, was obviously keen to run away from home and join up with the army and ran off and joined uh, the army in the Boer War um, uh, when he was underage just because he wanted some excitement and adventure. And then there was an uncle who was a bit of a tramp and he used to turn up sometimes unexpectedly, stay for two or three days, disappear again and not to be seen uh, again for many months or two or three years. Part of my family legacy, some things that can be handled and touched from one side of the family, stories that come from another side of the family. I expect many of us are grateful for the legacy of education that we have. Perhaps we look back and we remember remember when we were young, certain teachers, people who made an impact on us, not because they taught us uh, things that we remember, but because they made an impact upon us as people. And some of us, too, are fortunate to have been brought up with a godly legacy. Some were brought up in a Christian home or surrounded with Christian influences from a very young age. And if that has been our legacy, then we've been very important, of course. And one of these themes here in Psalm 145 is about the importance of sharing God's goodness with those who follow us in this world. And there are several other Psalms, too, that uh, contain a similar kind of message. But that statement in verse 4 of Psalm 145 is very clear. One generation shall commend or declare your works to another. Passing on an awareness of God's goodness and what God has done has always been a very, very important part of life for people in the Jewish tradition. And therefore, it's full of it in the Old Testament. One of the three great festivals, of course, mentioned in the Bible many times over, is the Passover festival. It's a festival still observed by Jewish people. It's the festival that commemorates the miraculous escape from Egypt when the Hebrew people had been slaves for many years, cruel slavery, 
and by a series of miraculous events, they were uh, saved from slavery, they escaped from Egypt, and they were led through the uh, wilderness for many years until they arrived at the Promised Land. And that escape from Egypt is celebrated in the Passover festival. And it's a very rich festival. It, it draws on all the senses, um, uh, using the eyes, first of all, seeing a table full of wonderful food. The Passover, first and foremost, is a feast. Uh, and then using the, the sense of taste, because part of the, what is eaten are bitter herbs. And bitter, not because they're pleasant to uh, eat, but because they remind people of the bitterness of slavery that people, their ancestors suffered. And then feeling, feeling the warmth of the candles that had been lit, a light to celebrate the light of God shining into every age, and ears as well, hearing the story told, the same story in the same way, year after year after year. And the Passover festival is celebrated in families, family groups, family gatherings. And there are four questions asked at the heart of the Passover festival, along with all that food and uh, glasses of wine, there are questions asked, four questions specifically. Why is this night different from other nights? Why is only unleavened bread eaten tonight? Why are herbs dipped? And why do people lean as they eat instead of sitting up straight? And it's done in a family gathering, and the questions are asked by the youngest people. And if we were a family gathering here tonight, I guess that Tiffany would be the one who's asking the questions because you must be the youngest member of the congregation, Tiffany. The answers would be given by the oldest members of the, member of the congregation, and I think we won't go there. <laughs> Might be me. <laughs> so, um, but that is, that is the way that the, the good news of what God has done for those people which they go back to time and time again, recorded there for us in the Bible, the Jewish people still celebrate this wonderful Jewish festival and uh, celebrate God's activity in history. And it is one generation declaring or commending God's work to another. And the same is true for Christian people as well. It is a matter of passing on that good news of our awareness of God's love in Jesus Christ from those who've gone before us to those who follow after us. We've received from parents, teachers, saints in all shapes and sizes, and we pass on. And that New Testament reading that Michael shared with us from Paul's letter to Timothy um, takes up this theme as well. You remember Timothy was a leader, young leader in the life of the early church, and Timothy was encouraged and trained by the Apostle Paul. And he writes two letters to us that we have in the New Testament. And in the opening verse of the second letter, Paul tells Timothy that he knows that he has a sincere faith. It's a sincere faith, Paul says, that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you. One generation had passed on the good news in Jesus Christ, to another. Lois to Eunice, Eunice to Timothy. I wonder who your Lois or your Eunice was, if you have one. I guess we all have somebody who, to whom we owe a great deal in terms of the legacy that we have received in the faith. Somebody whose words or 
the role that they played or the life that they lived commended God's work to us. And those of us for whom Jesus Christ is our Lord and Saviour therefore long to see other people come into that similar kind of experience. And then there is a responsibility placed on us to be the person and the people who then pass on to the next generation. But it's not always quite as easy as that, is it? We may live the faith, we may speak the faith, and yet those who come after us may seemingly not want to know. About 20 years ago, I was appointed superintendent minister of one of our Methodist circuits in the West Midlands. We had nine churches in the circuit, about seven or 800 members. And we had a very good leadership team, and we tried to uh, help the church, the circuit to function together, the churches to support one another. And at one point in our discussion, we decided that it would be a very good thing for us as a leadership team, the ministers and the circuit stewards, to go around and visit each of these churches for a Sunday afternoon and a Sunday evening and spend time with them and just ask where they would like to be within the next five years as a church. What is it they were hoping to do? What vision did they have? And if they had a vision, what resources did they need to get there? And if they had a vision and wanted to do something, what were the problems that might prevent them from getting there? And so we carried out this exercise, which took about 18 months to do altogether. Uh, On Sunday afternoons, we went to each church in turn. We had a discussion in small groups with people about those questions that I just shared with you. We then sat down and had a uh, light tea together. And then the members of the leadership team uh, led the evening service. We worshipped together. It's interesting that the item from our discussions, the conversations that went on, that came up, on, I think, on every occasion in each of the nine churches, and was so deeply felt, and it was an anguish in people's hearts and minds, particularly people in their 40s and 50s and 60s. The thing that came up time and time again was the concern and the despair, almost, they felt, that the faith which they had in God in Jesus Christ, which they professed, which they fed in worship, had not somehow been appreciated and taken on by their children. And in many cases this meant, in some cases, children had just decided to go and join another church. That's fine. They were still members of the Christian church. But in many cases, the children somehow had not become Christians, had no interest in the life uh, of the Christian church or the message. And this was a pain that was very deeply felt by so many of these people. And up and down the country, certainly within the Methodist Church, we have had many discussions in the last 25 years about what we call the missing generation. The uh, people in our churches between the ages of 25 and 40 in particular who just aren't around. Have we failed in our calling to commend God's works from one generation to another? Have we failed or is it just things around us? So from these kind of reflections, I think there is a challenge to all of us, really. First of all, I think we can um, take a very valuable lesson from this message that we have in Psalm 145. Because for the Jewish people, commending God's work from one generation to another had two elements about it. First of all, there was the substance of what it was they were commending. What was it that God had done that was so important that the next generation should know about? 
And the second aspect is the method that they used in order to do it, which, as I've already indicated, was very much through the Passover festival. But the substance, of course, of what God had done was that great work of redemption in freeing the children of Israel from slavery and, and saving them from a purpose. And the method was to encapsulate it in this festival so that every year, every new generation of children would have the opportunity and a growing awareness as the years went by of what this was all about. So what about both the substance of our faith that we want to commend to future generations and what about the methods? What is it, first of all, that we want to communicate to the next generation about God? Whether that next generation be our own children or neighbours' children or relatives or those we meet through our jobs or children we might teach in school or whatever it is, or the few that we come into contact with through the life of the church. Right, of course, at the heart of it all is the cross, because in the life and the death and resurrection of Jesus, we have seen inside the heart of God. What a great privilege that is. God is not, not, not just a remote being, but we know what is in his heart. He has a heart for us and for the human race. His love is for all people, for all times and in all conditions and circumstances. Immense, unfathomed, unconfined, as Charles Wesley once put it in one of his hymns. But beyond focusing on what is central to um, the Christian faith, the thing that holds us all together around the cross, we can go personal, can't we? We need to identify clearly in our own minds what it means to say that God's hand has been on our lives through the years. And perhaps that old gospel song that some of you will know, Count Your Blessings, uh, is a very valuable one. Count your blessings, name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. And that means reflecting on life. Not just generally over the years, but reflecting on life one day at a time. What is it that God has done for me today? And as we look back, we shall realise that God has in fact done many things for us, supplied us with our basic needs, our provisions, our homes, our food, our clothes, our income. As we look back and think about the turns in our lives, the changes that we've had, we will realise that God has given us guidance at those turning points in our lives sometimes when choices have had to be made. Looking back over the life, we shall remember that there are times that have been happy. There are days that we've really thoroughly enjoyed, when our hearts were bursting with joy. There are other times when we've hardly been able to drag ourselves out of bed because life was so difficult. And at those moments of crisis, we had perhaps some awareness of God's hand and help on us. Those are the sort of things that we shall reflect on as we look back. Those are the things that are personal. Those are some of the things that we can take hold of and try to pass on that gives substance to what God has done that we want to tell other people about. So much for the substance of what it is that we want to communicate. How do we do it? What are the methods? Well, needless to say, we have to start as so often we do with prayer. We need to pray for young members of our families. We have no young family, uh, children in our family. We need to pray for our young neighbours or whoever we find children somewhere that we can pray for, young people, 
people who can be regularly on our prayer list. And not only pray for their welfare and their development, but pray for them specifically to have a growing consciousness of God's presence in their lives. That is such a worthwhile prayer. And then maybe there are moments when we can naturally share with our families our gratitude to God who is at the centre of our lives. I well remember having a party to celebrate my parents' golden wedding uh, some years ago. A simple family party where we had a meal, a number of people invited who came from quite a distance. And we gathered around the table, had a good meal and a good chat. Um, My father said a few words at the end of the meal, very simple, but one of the things he said, and quite without embarrassment and very simply, was, we are very thankful to our Heavenly Father who's been with us through all the years of our life together. It was a very simple but moving word of testimony to the children and the grandchildren. Another way, of course, is what we are doing here tonight as we gather around the Lord's table, commemorating his death and celebrating his resurrection. We don't make any secret of the fact that we come to church. We don't make any secret of the fact that we come and share in this sacrament. And uh, when Paul wrote to the Corinthians uh, and mentioned about the gathering for bread and wine uh, in the sacrament, he said these words, Whenever you eat this bread and drink this wine, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So the very fact of our being here tonight and gathering around this table and holding out our hands to receive is a proclamation to anybody who may be watching or knowing what we're doing that we are under putting our lives under the hands of God and that we are, um, we are entirely dependent upon him. And then sometimes there are tools that are put there that we can use. Some of the organisations like the Bible Society and Scripture Union produce such useful things, DVDs and uh, things that come on YouTube these days, um, things on the market that we can use as gifts that help to communicate something about uh, the Christian faith, the things that God has done, the difference that Jesus can make in people's lives. It may be the gift of an Advent calendar, but instead of having Father Christmases and all the other things, just does actually focus on the story of what Christmas was all about. That is such a, a, a useful gift. Or the real Easter egg, as it's called, that's produced, been produced now for several years. It's not only nice chocolate, it's not only a fair trade product, but it also contains the story of Easter. Those sort of tools can be very useful to hand to somebody and to hand on. The booklet that was produced recently, I think it was by three organisations, the Bible Society was one of them, to commemorate commemorate our Queen's 90th birthday. The servant queen and the king she serves. It was an excellent production. An excellent production that talks about a Christian life offered to God in service. And to pass that on to somebody to read uh, is a very valuable gift. Those are tools that we can use. And of course, it's not only what we do on a personal level, although the challenge is there to us to commend God's work from one generation to another. It is a personal challenge. It is a challenge that we take up together as the Christian church. And in our life here at Central Hall, we are committed and deeply committed to caring for children and for teenagers, to their onward development into adulthood. We do it 
corporately through the baptismal promises that we make every time an infant baptism takes place. And we, as the church, uh, promise to maintain the life of worship and service in the church in order that they, he or she, may grow up in the faith of Christ. We do it through the work of our creche and JC Live and YPF, the work of Sanctuary, our young adults' congregation, through the recent appointment of Mark Williamson as our young people's worker and young adults' worker, through ongoing discussions that we're still having about how we can best do this. It is a challenge for the church and one that we take seriously. And we hope that even if people aren't involved actively, they will back prayerfully. But finally, of course, there has, as always, got to be something about our own lifestyle. Something that in us, that commends the works of God, without us actually saying anything at all. Children watch us, teenagers look for role models. People sometimes, uh, these days, celebrity stars and all the rest of it seem to fill several pages of our newspapers almost every day of the week. People are looking for role models, somebody to follow, somebody whose lifestyle it might be good to emulate. We need to try before God and have that sort of lifestyle that children and young people want to emulate. Daniel Webster, um, 19th century American statesman who served as Secretary of State under three different presidents of the United States of America, once said that the best argument for religion that he knew was an old aunt of his who lived up in the New Hampshire hills. And so may our lives be part of that declaring of God's work from one generation to another.